0: Welcome to a special episode of Level Up. Daniel and Katie here. And this week we did an interview with some folks over in Australia talking about underquoting or underpricing.
1: And if you are in real estate in most of Canada, you are familiar with people pricing listings at a lot lower than what they expect to get. And believe it or not, there is a rule that exists across several ponds in Australia that addresses this. And we learned all about it this week on Level Up. Welcome to another episode of Level Up. I'm Daniel with Katie, and we're really excited today to be joined by Matthew Myers and Jincy Tan from the NSW Fair Trading, which is a part of the Department of Customer Service for the Australian government in New South Wales. It's a Pleasure to have you. We've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk to you about that hopefully will shed some light on different practices we may or may not have here in Canada. So thanks for joining us. And uh, I guess before we get started into our questions, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what your jobs entail and what you do there for Fair Trading?
2: Yeah, no problems. Well, well, thank you firstly for inviting us. It's uh, it is exciting for us to be speaking to <laughs> yourselves there in Canada. Um, so yeah, my name is Matthew Myers. I'm a principal inspector here within New South Wales Fair Trading um, and my colleague, Jintzy Tan, um, we both work in the property team, which is under the New South Wales Fair Trading banner. Um, we regu- we're the regulator, the New South Wales government's regulator for uh, the real estate industry. We also regulate strata managers and strata plans um, and retirement villages and a few other different little uh, sections in that. So we do, uh, we quite have a large portfolio at the moment, uh, but we, uh, in relation to the topics today, yes, we do regulate the real estate industry um, as, a, as a whole group um, and that relates to sales and property management
3: as well, so. Yeah, so yeah, so hi, I'm um, Gene Sikin, um senior inspector from New South Wales Fair Trading and thanks for having us today.
0: Thank you both for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, so I guess maybe we'll start with, I mean, the reason why we reached out originally is because we've been dealing with a lot of competition in our industry. And a lot of the the trends we're seeing with listings is... Um, a lot of agents pricing properties significantly lower than what they're valued at in order to get as much attention to the properties in order to get as many buyers through. It's been a concern for us, especially in the last couple of years with COVID, bringing people through homes that not, aren't necessarily qualified to even purchase them. And so when we started digging into rules in other areas, we, we recognized that New South Wales has actually a rule on what you call underquoting, we call, I guess, underpricing, but it's the same thing. Um, And we were very intrigued by the fact that you have something that basically protects consumers and provides them with more clarity as to how much a home is truly valued at. And so can you tell us a little bit about the origins of the rule, how how you kind of came up with it as something to protect consumers and um, yeah, just what the rule actually is?
3: Yes, yeah, so, um, so basically the underquoting laws that apply to the sale of New South Wales residential property started on 1st of January 2016 and the underquoting reforms are designed to stop uh, real estate agent understating property prices. Um, the practice of um, underquoting can cause interested buyers to waste time and money on inspecting properties, getting reports and attending auctions based on misleading price guides. Um, yeah, so basically, we're trying to have this undercoding laws to make um, clearer rules for agents and also um, more effective enforcement for um, the regulators, the government regulators as well. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so these reforms, um, since we introduced them in 2016, have, uh, I suppose, uh, provided transparency across the industry itself for both real estate agents and consumers. Um, and what we're trying to do with our legislation is to try and make sure that agents advertise a property um, in line with the comparable market prices within that area. So um, within the legislation, we ask them to do certain things, and that one of them would be uh, in, in their sales agreement is that they list an estimated selling price, so is what the agent believes the price or the guide of the house will sell for, or the property will sell for. That's irrespective to what the vendor may or may not lock the house to sell, obviously People who are selling homes want their houses to go at the best price, but in realistic terms, an agent who is the professional in that market would know that this house may be valued at a $1 million to $1.1 million, for example. Um, so we would ask them that they list that price on their sales agreement, and then once they do open homes and inspections and advertise the property, if the, if the feedback from the, from the buyer's feedback says that their property is, should be going at a higher price, then, then they're required under the law to amend their agency agreement and their estimated selling price to reflect that market trend. And also, too, before they do advertise the property, they also said they have to do comparable market uh, sales, and they've got to look at the recent sales history within a confined space of that property. Not, they can't show you pick properties in other areas. They must be in a close proximity and then get that comparable market price to assist in relation to the estimated selling price.
1: Okay, so it's not as simple as a listing agent just saying, here's what I'm going to say it's worth. There there has to be a, a substantial amount of supporting evidence to to actually justify it. Yeah.
2: Um, oh, exactly right, yeah.
1: And so it's it's been now in existence and implemented for five years, or I guess now almost six years. Um, have you seen in terms of how often people are reporting it, is this, is this a situation where your inspection uncovers situations where things are underpriced or is this the general public might voice their concern that this is something you should look into and how often does that happen?
2: Uh, it happens quite frequently. So it, it's, uh, I suppose, the more, and we advertise it um, on our website uh, in, a, in a layman's term for both buyers and um, in the, in the industry themselves to explain what undercrating is. So um, since we've done that, we, do a lot, we get a lot of complaints from the consumers in particular here in New South Wales, like because we do auction sales. And uh, auction sales requires a, a, a you know, potential buyer to undergo a, a pest in building report or a strata report before they purchase. So, And also have a conveyance to review the contract. So uh, even before you, you, you go to an auction and start bidding, you're outlaying several hundred dollars, if not thousands of dollars, to get all those reports done. And then so we get a lot of complaints from those buyers who undertake these reports and these pre-sale checks Aim to go to an auction, and by the first bid, they're out, they're really outpriced by several hundred thousand dollars because they've been guided by a price guide that an agent set, which is well below the market trend or the market price would reflect. So, um, so we get a lot of complaints from those types of per, um, potential purchasers who have just been immediately outbidded. And they're you know frustrated and upset that they've spent you know several hundred dollars if not there's a few thousand dollars and just wasted it and don't get any recourse to get that money back. So, um, so we and and with our team we do inspections. So we do routine inspections based on complaints. We also do um, I suppose uh, fortnightly compliance inspections where we go out and just independently target trade um, you know certain agencies and we'll just go and do a random inspection and we will look at sales files to make sure that they're not blatantly underquoting a price of a property yeah.
0: Right. And so from what I was reading, you do give agents a range of pricing. Is that right? Where it could be, is it like a, a percentage range typically or yeah. Okay. Yeah. That range. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yes. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, 10%. So yeah, well, if they list a the price, if they believe it's a million dollars, then they're allowed to maximize that range by 10%. Either. They can't go outside that 10% range.
1: Got it. Okay. And is that both up or down in terms of the pricing or is it and generally people wouldn't overprice but is there a rule about somebody pricing well beyond what something might be worth or that's really not a practice that people go into there
2: no no they, so if you believe that the if for example if you believe the house is worth a uh, million dollars maybe to $1. 1.1 $1. $1. $1 million dollars then you, your, your lowest price that you think the sale would go for, must be your lowest end of your range. Then you can go up by 10% and have your guide as that. Yeah. So you, you can't say, oh, it's going to sell for a million dollars at least. So I'll go 900,000 to one million. You can't do that. So, so oh, okay. the lower end of your guide must be the lowest price you believe the house or the property would sell for.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I thought it was you could go ten percent lower than what you thought. Okay, okay.
3: So, but, so, for example, that doesn't only apply to the auction, like for a public go for auction, also right. apply for um, private treaty as well. So, okay. let's say if a buyer offer, let's say um, one million, obviously. And and the vendor declined that offer. Then obviously the vendor, uh, sorry, the agent cannot put a price less than one million because the market tells you that it's ready to pay for one million offer. Got it. Okay.
0: Now, in, in our market, and I think it's similar in Australia, we're seeing a lot of competition for homes. And as a result, a lot of times the price actually exceeds an agent's um, expectation in terms of what they've seen comparative market analysis. So when that happens, is that kind of an exception to the rule when you're kind of investigating and looking into those situations?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, sometimes like there may be um, competitive bidders, for example, who just, you know, for whatever reason, did more than whatever uh, an agent may have um, suggested. But in relation to the undercurrent guidelines, we do ask them that they, when they do their estimated selling price in their guides, that they have to provide or show evidence of reasonableness of that, of that guide. So that means it, it must be reviewed. So we also have um, commissioner's guidelines or supervision guidelines, and those supervision guidelines dictate that an agent must review their estimated selling price weekly. So, so every week they must review their feedback from their potential buyers or the market trends and adjust that price accordingly. So, and that may mean it may go down. They might have buyers that come in and say, this is not worth a million dollars. It's worth 800,000. And by all means, they can revise their price down. But if they're getting offers like Jinsey has said of a million dollars and the vendor saying no, then their guide must go up to reflect the current trends that are are presented to the agent.
1: And that in effect keeps everybody who's interested or potentially interested aware of At least enough, like 10% is a big number, but it's not so big that I think it's prohibitive on people to understand around where they'd expect to pay for a home, Right. which which is good. So did this, I mean, auctions, as we said, is something we're beginning to introduce in Canada, but it's definitely not something that is for for a multitude of regulatory reasons. It's not something that's taking off here, Um, but it is picking up and it's one of the major ways that home sales take place in Australia is the underquoting somewhat of a symptom of, of auctions more than private treaty sales, or do you see it being an issue as much in both types of sale there, just because auctions are a little bit more arbitrary. um, Would that be part of why the rule was introduced in 2016 as a response to more auctions taking place? Mm -hmm. I
2: would say the auctions, um, are probably the underlying reason as to why underquoting would exist. I think underquoting is is used to get more people, you know, on site on that day, more bidders, yeah, you know, more interested people, or even a, a bigger crowd to to hype up the bidders. So I think in essence, underquoting is a is a byproduct of auctions. Um, so I suppose the underquoting guidelines and, and the provisions there in the acts you know, make it, allows transparency across either types of sales, whether it be private treaty or an auction. But definitely, I think it's, it's, it is a, yeah, an underlying issue from auctions.
0: So if an agent is caught under quoting, what are the um, punishments or the (laughs) repercussions that an agent will face?
3: Um, so, agents who commit an underquoting offence can be fined up to $22,000 and could lose their commission and fees earned from the sale of an underquoted property.
2: Okay. So, the $22,000 is a maximum fine if they were to go to court, if you put them before a court. Um, but generally, um, what we do as a, uh, I suppose, uh, is an intermediate sort of an instant sort of reaction is we find a, a an agent who's undercrating, then we will issue them an on-the-spot penalty on the spot fine and that's for two thousand two hundred dollars mm-hmm. so we'll issue them and then we'll also issue their and generally we'll look at their the licensing charge of the business and we will look at them in relation to their supervision or their lack of supervision over the sale and if we've that they've been uh, if, we, if we think that they've uh, haven't supervised their agents properly then we'll issue them an on-the-spot fine as well for lack of supervision
1: okay that's good <laughs> that's what it yeah. should be <laughs> yeah.
2: and if and if the if the, that doesn't it doesn't deter your behavior and you continue to do that um well then we will look at other sanctions so we have a disciplinary sanction where we can put you before our disciplinary action unit and take disciplinary action so that may result in a an extra monetary fine maybe a result of a suspension or disqualification of your license to act as an agent in south wales mm. or the ultimate one we can do is we can prosecute you and put you before a local court and have have you charged and and a magistrate, as I said, can issue up to $22,000 for a personal Mm fine.
1: So in giving someone a penalty or assessing one, is it generally after the transaction has taken place or is it the moment you see something being misrepresented and before somebody's actually entered into a contract or does it happen both ways? Both ways. Okay, so it's really just when somebody brings it to your attention, you go right in there and
2: yeah, yeah. try So to, obviously, with the complaints that we get from auctions, they're post-auctions where um, generally, like I said, uh, you know, the, the sale price is, is massively different to what the guided price was. So a lot of those complaints are, are reactive post-sales. Uh, but our proactive approach as a team, um, as, a, as a regulator, is that we go out there every every week or every fortnight, and we do compliance actions, and we target specifically sales and look at their underwriting um, provisions and make sure that they've uh, adhered to that.
0: Okay, got it. So when you're when an agent is listing a property for sale, do they? I know you said price guide. Is that typically what it is? Like, because in Canada, what we do is we just list one price, and that's the price that everybody sees. Is there it typically a, an advertised price range or is it one price
3: uh, it's up to the agent so okay. um yeah so under the the vendor's instruction they can um, list it with the price guide a specific price or a price range like we said it's um, the 10 percent price range or even the vendor can um, instruct the, um, the agent to not to disclose the price guide
1: and um, and that and that could change from week to week you were saying as well right as as the valuation might adjust that's really interesting. Yeah.
2: So, if it's we, we, sell- Sorry. 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 Well, we have right. some prohibitive terms as well. So in relation to the sale when they use a price, um, we do have some prohibitive terms. So they can't say, they can't use the word from at the beginning of a price. So you can't say from $1 million. Okay. It either has to be a price or a price guide.
3: Okay. Or the symbol plus sign. Yeah. They can't use that.
0: Okay. Hmm. And you said a, if a seller chooses not to disclose the price guide
3: is, is that's an option so how would that work um uh, it would seem so um an agent must still include the estimate selling price in their agency agreement um but if the vendor um instructs the agent not to disclose a price guide um it's, it's up to them yeah
2: so they could so they could use the words like um for auction or yeah. contact agent for example or for sale and so they can use those words okay.
3: but they can't call a price less than their estimate yeah. price basically
2: okay so, in in a
1: situation that does have quite a bit of competition, so let's say somebody's put out there a price of a million dollars—that's the estimated price—but six, and maybe it's not, maybe it's private treaty, but six people are interested in the home and all want to offer at the same time. Would the rule of thumb be they basically will, if they really want it, they go roughly ten percent above that price and assume that they're on the high end of value, and that's how people compete, or do people just? kind of go nuts if they really want it, irrespective of what that price is. Because it, it is telling people what the value is based on actual evidence. Um, but what we see here, as we mentioned before, <laughs> we is... We don't
0: have evidence.
1: I mean, yeah. It, <laughs> first of all, there is no lot. evidence here. Like, there, there might be people here listing a home at 699000 and it's going to go for $1.5 Like, yeah. Like, there are situations right. that go nuts. Yeah, but crazy. But even on a lesser scale, I'd say it is more normal to see a home go for greater than 10% above the list price than within that range. And for that reason, when you've got multiple people competing, notwithstanding the other problems like them buying with no conditions and it being 100% firm, price alone, people just throw a number out there that they think will be higher than everybody else because they don't know any better. And I would suspect that when you're already displaying a, a verified value, or close enough to value, people still keep their highball numbers in check based on what they know of what the value is. Or do people still get crazy sometimes <laughs> when there's a lot of competition?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, there still is that crazy sort of market out there. Like, and um, I suppose just before COVID and during COVID, sales here in the market went up quite considerably high uh, and in our sort of uh, more exclusive areas along the eastern suburbs along the water and the coast itself like there were sales there that went for seven million dollars over the estimating guide and we've checked them and, and like you can't control um, like i said two people competing for a house that they, if they've got the cash they're going to pay whatever they want for it and, and that's fine but when we go to the agent as long as they can show us that their market uh, appraisal or their esp their estimated selling price is within the market what the market dictates and that's fine like and even like before you sign up and 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 do your sales agreement with your vendor with your guide you have to show them evidence you have to show that you have to show them the appraisals and show this is what i've looked at in the area homes are selling for 1 million 1.1 million dollars so i think you're going to get about the 1.1 million one million dollar mark they have to show the vendor that they can't just go well i think it's worth you know 1 million we'll just we'll just see how we go and we'll just stick it out there so Uh, Yeah, So they have to show that they're reasonable in relation to their selling price, not only to themselves as an agent or us as a regulator if we ask, but they also have to show their vendor. Yeah, okay, that
0: makes
1: sense. Uh, To me, the idea of auctions as it relates to this is sort of the allowable exception to the rule because when things are transparent, and to your point, two people are competing, Mm. but they're aware of what the other person is doing. So this isn't being fictitiously driven by a guess. Right. the mm. same way, um, it still might be a symptom of a misvalued opening number. But as long as there's more than one person aware of what's happening, it makes it it makes it makes sit a little bit easier with me from a fairness perspective.
2: Sure, yeah. And even with the auctions, they, they control their auctions, they're controlled. There are auction guidelines that uh, they relate to every auction. So every bidder must, must be registered properly and show proper identification. And generally, the, the auction sales, the condition of a sale is that once post the sale is done, the successful purchaser must provide a 10% deposit there on the spot. You know what I mean? So it, so ultimately the, when you go to an auction and you have a group of bidders you know, and there are two or three going for it more and the rest have dropped off, you would say it's safe to say, you know, to assume that those bidders are there for the house or the property and not there to, you know, just uh, you know increase the bid and bake bidding so So yeah, definitely like yeah, if, the, if it does go up, it does go up. It's generally it's it's a legitimate reason as to why it's done it, yes.
0: Right. So, how does the reserve price work with with the price guidelines? Does the reserve price like are there unreserved auctions or are yeah unreserved yeah or, un- or like no res- no yeah. reserve auctions or is it within the price or do I, you might not I don't know if you know <laughs> might be yeah, already-
3: yeah no it's not something the agent can control so it's the decision made by the vendor okay. um, so the vendor may want to reserve at a much higher price than what
2: the agent's price was. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, yeah. So every auction, there must be a reserve um, by the vendor.
3: Yes.
2: Having said that, they could put down a dollar. If they just want to sell the property, if it's like a deceased estate or something like that, they might just put a dollar as a reserve. That's fine. But there must be some sort of reserve okay. written down and signed by the vendor and conveyed to the agent prior to the auction sale. Okay. And that... And it, my... it, sorry? No, no, go ahead. And if the if the sale goes up to a certain level and it doesn't meet the reserve, then that's when they can halt, you know, suspend the auction and discuss that with the vendor, mm-hmm. and then discuss whether the property should go on the market or they pass it in and and the sales campaign continues again later on. Yeah, got it. Okay. So
1: you've been put again. This has been six years, and it seems like people understand the rule to this point. Like I'm sure it's it's taken and and maybe not maybe that's the first (laughs) question is whether it's realtors consumers like are there still challenges in people who don't understand the concept or has it been in place long enough that everybody gets it and lives by it right now generally speaking
2: it's been in long enough that the industry like the agents and that know about it and or should know about it and their licensees and and their industry bodies their all know about it. They talk about it, and it's part of the um, it's part of their training that they do for um, compulsory training. So um, sometimes the topic of underwriting is is talked about. However, having said that, it is still quite high within their industry that agents still do it, mm-hmm. uh, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it's competition and, and that sort of stuff that they try and drive the the prices um, like that in front of the crane But for example, since May this year. Um, we had a dedicated team targeting underquoting, right. and we've issued one hundred and two, one hundred and two fines, separate fines, in relation to underquoting in that short amount of time. And that was during COVID, where you know, so the, the, the restrictions on sales and inspections was 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 limited, but mm-hmm. still the market was quite high. But still, underquoting is quite prevalent. So we've issued about one hundred and seventy-two thousand dollars just in fines for underquoting related offences in that short amount of period of time. So it's still, it is still there. Right. Sadly to say, but it is. But having said that. Um, the understanding of it is, is a lot higher now with, with, with the industry. So when we do speak to an agent or their licensee, they, they do get it straight away. So it's easy for them, uh, us to educate. But we do try and educate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, we do have a zero tolerance on underquoting and and 99% of the time you be issued an on-spot fine for it.
0: Got it. And do you find that underquoting happens in, I guess, when um, in areas that have more competition or is it kind of, doesn't really matter it's kind of all across
3: your state or- it's across the state but um yeah, it happens more often in like more expensive area
2: yeah. okay yeah so yeah that's happening across the state but um uh in, in our inner city in, in a city, in in sorry in our, in, uh, sorry in our inner city areas and towards the eastern suburbs which is the, along the coastline and our northern suburbs which is the more um, affluent areas, uh, we do find um, that undercrating is more prevalent there. Um, I don't know. That's based on competition, and you know, and um, and a lot of, a lot of times the is used to try and I suppose bait a vendor. Whereas they will go to the vendor and say, look, I can get you the two million dollars you want for this house, mm-hmm. and then they and they try and bait the vendor to do that. And then on on their on their side of the, on the fence, where the agent has to do the paperwork, the ESP is down here, or there is, yeah, I mean, so. They, Sometimes it's used to try and get the sale first and you know, promise the world to the vendor, and then they try and, ha- then try and make up the ground later on and try and get the crowds in or the bidders in or the, the buyers in to look at the property that's well undervalued or whatever else. So, it, yeah, there's a myriad of different reasons why they do it, but I think competition and price, the price of the properties itself, dictates the undercrowding sort of happens in these areas more so than others. Got it. Okay.
1: So you said that it's a, it's a zero tolerance approach to things when you identify under quoting someone's getting fined. Is there any sort of appeal process or does an agent have a way to say, well, but this is what I did and this is why I put the number in. You don't understand. And does that happen sometimes?
2: Sure, sure. So with our legislation, that, that dictates that they must keep records and the records must be kept for three years. So in relation to their ESP or the estimated selling price, they have to keep like i said they have to show the vendor and they also have to keep records to show us that the esp is you know, the reason of the esp so they have to show us why they believe that, that they set that price guide and why they you know didn't change it or they kept it or they lowered it so every time they revise it they have to amend the sales agreement to make sure that their that their revision is noted they also have to tell their vendor but so they, they have to keep the, the records there and Basically, explain to us why they've set that price, and then we can review that and that decision that they've made, and base it and, and you know, look at that in relation to legislation, and then we make a decision whether or not they've mm-hmm. committed an offence. If we do issue them a, a fine, on, then um, if you have the option yeah. to um, request for a review, that goes to a different team um, to
3: review all
2: the paperwork. And- yeah, or they can court elect it and have it and let it go before the local court and have it heard before a magistrate.
0: In terms of the types of offences that agents um, are, are charged with, would you say underquoting is one of the more prevalent ones or is, are there other ones that are more um, common?
3: I think the more common one is when the agent's not um, ensuring their estimate price remain reasonable. So mm-hmm. often when they started you know, selling the property, obviously they have evidence to support their original estimate price, but during the, you know, the campaign they receive offers and buyers' feedback, but they fail to remain, you know, ensure the estimate zone price remain reasonable. So they fail to revise their estimate zone price and, you know, quote their, their new price. So that that's what we often yeah. found.
1: Um, I've got a question that you might not be able to answer because this almost speaks to the thought process of a realtor. So I don't know. So you got to think like think like yeah. a realtor for a second. Um, in in our market, and I'm sure everywhere, there's a lot of vendors and sellers out there who feel their home is worth more than it is. And so when they approach us or any realtor to sell their home, we might say, listen, your house is worth 1.2 million. And they say, that's great, but I think it's worth 1.4, or I won't take anything less than 1.4. Now, in our case, and specific to us, we will typically say, okay, well, then we won't take the listing because it's kind of a waste of our time. But In a case where a realtor agrees to take on a listing like that, they would still be required to have a range that's not in line with what their client's expectation is, right? Like just because their client expects one, four, they'd have to list at one, two, or they'd have to have the the range of one, two. How does that work? And maybe it doesn't happen because of the fact that they've got to put that value out there because if they ever were to sell at their client's expectation, Mm -hmm. they'd be violating the rule of their own valuation. You know what I mean? Does that happen? Or is this rule almost inherently preventing that from happening for realtors?
2: Well, yeah. So with the sales agreement, when they sign up a vendor, it, the sales agreement that we have, dictates well, for example, the vendor wants 1.4. So they, that, that can be written into the agreement saying that the vendor wants 1.4 yeah. and then it has the agent's estimated selling price or guide. And that's where they would put 1.1 to 1.2 or $1.2 million dollars. And that's where, they, that's where they have to show evidence to the vendor saying, I know you're on 1.4, we will try our best, but at the moment, the market dictates that it's around this area. So they, they can take on a listing as long as they've been sure that they've you know provided that evidence to the vendor um, to make sure that they've met their expectations. You know, well, well she you want to be up here. We're about here at the moment. Like We will try our best as an agent to bring the crowds in and the buyers in to try and get you up there. But in realistic terms, you're down here. So. They do have to meet those expectations.
3: Yeah, and like we said, you know, if the vendor has to file an offer that's higher than the agent's final price and they have to revise it immediately yes. and cannot quote any price less than that, that price that, um, the offer they received.
1: Okay. Right.
0: In the period of time that a property is listed in Australia, like for us, it's five to seven days that... Mm-hmm that a place gets listed for sale and it's sold or we're reviewing offers. And I I believe it's longer. Is that correct in Australia? Like is it a longer listing period before like an auction, for example, would take place?
3: January, they will list it on the market for four weeks before they go on auction.
0: Okay. Yeah. So
3: they want to gather as much crowd as they can um, before the auction. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's different.
1: It's just, I mean, our our wheels were spinning before we spoke to (laughs) you. I I don't know what the travel rules are now, but if you wouldn't mind coming to Toronto and maybe doing a couple of seminars here for the government, that might be helpful.
2: We could do a road show for Mm -hmm. you for sure. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, I just have one more question. I don't know if you have anything. I else.
1: mean, I, I could go on forever, yeah. <laughs> but I want to respect your time as well.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if you, I mean, I mentioned it before. I'm not sure, like, once the property is sold and the, and the buyer pays their deposit, is there a cooling off period for the buyer? And could they potentially opt out of the agreement afterwards? Um
3: so generally um before the exchange contract, the buyer has to pay 0.25 percent um, of the selling price. Um it, it's it's a contractual matter between the buyer and the vendor. So they may want um, the buyer may want to waive that cooling off period um and enter into a contract. So it, it's up to it, it's it's like an
2: negotiation. Bit, yeah. But yeah, but generally there is cool off period for every transaction
0: five days okay and then if they decide to um move forward and not go through with the agreement then they are charged that quarter percentage point as a like a fee kind of thing or a cancellation
3: fee type thing yeah so the vendor keeps up to five percent yeah they'll
2: forfeit that yes
3: okay
1: okay that's what i thought okay and uh are conditions on the deals relatively common or do you see a lot of deals where most of the due diligence is done in advance of someone putting an offer forward so things like a home inspection um, financing conditions things like that or is that often something you'll see alongside the offer that maybe protect a buyer following the contract where they can get out of the deal
2: Uh, i think like um it depends because a lot of agents in that sort of ask for in relation to finances, they ask to make sure you've got pre-approval set before you come and sort of negotiate a sale. Um, sometimes the conditions of sale are subjected to finances, obviously, to make sure that the... Because with the prices that have gone up, you know, sometimes the banks don't evaluate a property um, and, and loan the full amount. So there's issues in relation to that. So they are subject to certain conditions, yeah, and they could be also pests and building inspections. Yeah. So, again, it's a negotiation between the vendor and the, and the potential purchaser. Uh, and that's where they put the zero point two five percent down. And if it does fall through at the end because of five, then, then then you do for that. Yes. Okay. Mm. Okay.
0: Um,
1: another question for you. Um, <laughs> <I'll> keep going. <laughs> um,
3: yeah.
1: Well, I, I mean, we, we one part of the reason we do this podcast, and, and a major reason we're talking to you is because you know we identify things here that are less than ideal from our perspective of protecting consumers and protecting the industry. And you've obviously as a, as a country, but you know, specifically in your roles, you've identified an ability to address some of these things. Are there still, or if you, from what you see could add more rules or things that are still not being addressed that you sit back and say, I can't believe the industry is still getting away with this. Um, we've got a, a laundry list of that. And I, I don't want to put you in a position, sure. but, sure. but uh, I mean, there. I mean, so a lot of the stuff. I, I feel like Australia is just ahead of the curve, and and to be clear, we don't think there's a right way to do things. We're just big advocates for choice and the ability for consumers to be able to
0: make an informed decision. Make a decision, yeah. yeah. That
1: that's open, and that they have all the information. And we don't currently have that situation here to the degree we'd like. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of light years behind where you are now and you've got choice and you've got transparency and you've got things like the underquoting rule what's still missing in australia right now or what could help make things even better for protecting consumers or is everything made uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: yeah look it's not perfect like, i think one of our mandates one of the our governments the state governments here in New South Wales, mandates was for some time now yeah, is to reduce red tape
3: mm-hmm. so uh
2: whilst we do have our legislation and it's can be restrictive in some instances. We're trying not to overburden the industry with regulation. So, uh, so I think like we've got. A, I suppose we're trying to get a balance. I think we've probably got a good balance at the moment, where there is a lot of responsibility placed on an agent with the with the legislation itself, but it also allows them to, I suppose, to act as adults and freely, you know, sell a property. As long, as, but so we we also, we also too we also have the rules of conduct attached to our legislation. So there are schedules there, and they dictate certain rules whether you're doing uh, as an agent, as a licensee, as a selling agent, or a property manager. So, and those there are certain rules in there which we can fine you as well for. And one of them is is that you must act in the best interest of your client. So as a vendor, as long as you're out there trying to do the best you can, and like we get complaints all all the time that some buyers were left out of the buying process because they were down here at the the lower end of the butt, the, the um, bargaining. So they, they weren't contacted again and the property sold. Well, the, the agent tried his best or her best to try and keep you informed, but you're down here. So they've got new clients. They're moving forward. So they're acting in the best interest of their, of their vendor or their client. So we would do it to be fair process. So as long as, they, like I said, transparency is the best thing, and as long as a, an agent can keep records of their actions and why they've done certain things, then we will base that on a balance of you know fairness and say, well, you know, You've done the best you could, and, and you know, and we will allow you to go. So, I, I'm not sure that there's more um, we could do. Like, okay, so we have a we have a supervision guidelines issued by the Commissioner of Fair Trading. They're quite prescriptive. Mm-hmm. We have the, the rules of conduct, uh, and then we have the legislation as well. So, there is a lot of um, there is a lot of I suppose control around an agent and an agency, and then a licensing charge on what they do. So, I I, I don't know if we could add too much more without being you know too over regulated.
0: Right. Yeah, it's got to be a balance,
2: I think. True. It has to be, yes. Yeah. And like and, and a lot of the stuff is contractual too. So when you sign up with a vendor, there's that contractual side of thing, which is more of a civil matter, which we won't tie into. Yeah. We 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 just it's more about the, the agent's conduct. That's what we look at. Right. And then and generally when we do get complaints as a as a regulator. When we take on a complaint, we're acting as the regulator for the state, and we're taking action against a, a, an agent. We're not we're not defending the vendor, you know, Mister and Mrs J. Blow. We're not acting for you. We're acting for the state. So, your matter and your we, won't pro- we don't provide any financial redress to a vendor or a complainant. We have a tribunal which they can go to separately and do that civilly. What we do is we just look at it as a as you know a breach of the legislation, and we'll act accordingly on that. So, right, interesting. That's no, good. Yeah. Um,
0: well, yeah. And just one more thing with what how we do things here is we have buyers agents. So there's selling agents, buying agents. Um, the buying agent is actually paid through the seller through the listing agreement that's been signed between the listing agent and the seller. So it's kind of further complicates things. Um, so the yeah. buyers can pay by the vendor.
1: Yeah, the, the vendor pays a total commission that is ultimately split between their representative and the eventual cooperating agent who represents somebody else. So it's it's effectively an incentive for people to come and bring their clients to their home. However, yeah. the buying agent doesn't have a fiduciary duty to the seller. The buying agent has a duty to their own client. So there's all kinds of inherent conflict in where the money coming from. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Like definitely, yeah. definitely not. A good,
3: That'll
1: yeah. be uh, next week's yeah.
2: episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds like you have a lot of issues that you need know, to discuss. It's a-
0: no, I mean to be honest, like it's. I mean, overall, like our industry is is really well run. It's just these things that I think. You know, people find loopholes for and, and different ways cool. around things, and I think it's gotten to a point with certain aspects, definitely the underpricing, um, where it's just gotten out of control. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of people hate the government regulations and government coming in and trying to control things, but it's the only way that it's going to stop the masses from from mm-hmm. doing these types of practices. So I, I think it's really important. Um, for our industry, just to consider this as a whole, because if you're just trying to get one off agents to try to change their practices, they're not going to do it because no. it doesn't it, it actually doesn't end up working in their seller's best interest because they're not seeing the same results that an agent that's underpricing is. So yeah. it's kind of like a vicious cycle that needs to be stopped.
1: Well, d- generally, it's <laughs> it's not bad actors in our industry. Like most agents are underpricing because they feel they need to. Mm. um, Because the expectation of the consumer is if I want a home and I've got a million dollars to spend, I need to search for homes priced at 700,000. Yeah. Right. So if, so if I look, if I price my home at a million, I won't even reach the buyers who can afford what I have because they're searching at lower prices, expecting things are all underpriced. So um, it's definitely it doesn't make it right but it does mean that changing one or two attitudes of one or two agents will not address the problem it mm-hmm. needs to be a, a blanket solution
2: yeah to really yeah, yeah, out I, of bad yeah. actors yeah i agree i think what really our underquoting guidelines i think like i said provides a a a level playing field so if you're a buyer or you're a vendor you know where the market is so if you're looking at a guided price of a million dollars you know you're around about that price you should be searching for that level so yeah, definitely. Like, I think they like it's a win-win for both sides of the of the fence, yeah. uh, including real estate agents themselves as realtors. You know what I mean? it's, exactly. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like uh, I just.
1: I, I think that that's that's one thing that people don't understand is there can be a solution that does benefit both sides even though buyer and seller have conflicting obje- objectives one who wants to pay the least and one who wants to sell for the most mm-hmm. more clarity for everybody only helps things get done rather than mm-hmm. completely Confused. muddying the waters mm-hmm. with made-up numbers that don't mean anything
0: yeah
1: um so yeah this is uh, this is it's great. eye-opening yeah and
2: yeah, it is it's all opening for us it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, I, don't, I don't want to buy a house in Canada, but it's a complicated process. There you <laughs> go. There you go. Exactly. I mean, yeah. don't
1: get me wrong. I, I, I think it, it's created. it's, it's created a, a bigger responsibility on buying agents to understand what a place is worth when their clients want to see a place. And it's very frustrating to tell a buyer. Yeah. No, no, no. That's going to go for 1.2. Yeah. Right. And they say, well, what do you mean? It's priced at 600. Yeah. This um, is crazy. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a, I think a crawl, walk, run for this industry right now, but we're yeah. getting there and it's discussions like this that really help I yeah. think, open people's eyes. So we really uh, appreciate it. To show, it.
0: to show people that it's actually implemented somewhere else and it actually works and, it works. and it's not it's just such a crazy idea. So thank you so much, both of you for your insights today. I really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, if there's anything we can ever do to you, for you, I don't know, <laughs> show you more, tell you more stories from the battlefield or something, <laughs> we're fun. we're happy to share. By
2: <laughs> yeah, look, I thank you for that. Thank you for the invitation. Like it, it, it's uh, it's it a great discussion today, okay. I think. And by all means, if you need any. You want us back we be more than yeah. happy to come back and discuss other issues
1: i, I think that uh, awesome. th- there's a world of things that you do there that we'd love to implement here so i yeah. don't doubt we might call on you we'll make it we'll,
2: again
0: it'll be a field trip we'll, we'll come to that's we'll come true why don't, why don't we come visit that's that's even better <laughs> yeah. oh yeah <laughs>
2: yeah sounds great
0: <clears throat> well thank you so much again we appreciate your no worries time. okay you. have
2: a good day yeah you too